Good morning, Race Vineyard. Everybody else joining us, watching this uh, on YouTube or listening to it on our website or a podcast. Now, over the last year, we've been working our, through, our way through the book of Acts and tracking how the early church was birthed, uh, how it grew, the change it faced along the way, and the trials and tribulations of the Apostle Paul. This morning, we wrap up this series looking at chapters 27 and 28, and I've titled this talk, A Life of Discipleship to be Continued. So before we get started, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this historical record of Paul's journey to Rome, the attempts of the enemy to stop him, the amazing way that you protected him and others, and the ongoing expanse of your kingdom. Help us follow you as your disciples and live a life of discipleship, no matter what the circumstances. Amen. In Paul's journey to Rome, we see God's faithfulness and protection and the absolute truth that God will build his kingdom. And as Bill Jackson put it, who was a vineyard pastor and a vineyard institute pastor, who's sadly no longer with us, nothing's going to stop it. Now, I'm not going to read the whole of these two chapters. I hope you've read them in preparation, but we'll be dipping in and out as we go. Now, as I read through these two chapters again, and I sort of worked through what I was going to say, and looked at and considered what we have studied over the last year in Acts, uh, I realised that the same three themes kept coming up. Fear, faith and following Christ. And it's the same here in chapters 27 and 28. But here, it's not Paul that's fearful, so much as it's the other people on the ship, the sailors and the soldiers that are fearful. Faith is demonstrated by Paul here, so is following Christ. So we read in Acts 27, 1 and 2, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some others, other prisoners, were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from this place, which I'm not going to pronounce, um, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. And the first point to note there are those two we's. We boarded a ship and we put out to sea. And if you've read these two chapters, you won't have missed the minute detail that Luke goes into of the account of every stretch of the journey and the storm and the trip to Rome and what happens in Rome. That's because all commentators agree that Luke, the writer of Acts, was with Paul on this long journey from Caesarea to Rome. James Smith did a study a long time ago. Um, the book was actually published in 1884. And in this book, he wrote the voyage, uh, voyage and shipwreck of St. Paul. He said this, no man, not a sailor, could have written a narrative of a sea voyage so consistent in all its parts, unless from actual observation. So we know that this is not a story that Lucas gathered from talking to, to people that were there years after the event. You know, this is an accurate historical account, day by day, hour by hour, of what actually happened. So this is the journey that went on from, from Caesarea to Rome. Um, and from the map, we can see the route that they sailed. And due to the time of year and the weather and the prevailing winds, it was a wrong time to be making this sort of trip. And the ship they were sailing on wasn't the sort of ocean-going liner that you and I, well, maybe not want to go on a cruise at the moment. Um, 
it wasn't one of those, it looked more like this. It was a wooden grain cargo vessel. Quite small, as you can see. Um, and we're told later on in verse 37 that there were 276 people on board, so pretty cramped. So let's pick up the narrative uh, when they're at Fairhaven. <clears throat> Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So we're talking October, November. And, and at that time in history, all sailing stopped at the beginning of November. So it was pretty dangerous. So Paul warns them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to entering, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. So remember by Paul's own account in 2 Corinthians, uh, he'd been shipwrecked three times. So by now he's already been shipwrecked twice and he doesn't relish it happening again. So when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not uh, head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. <coughs> Excuse me. So when this gentle wind comes up, they see their opportunity and they're tricked into thinking they can make the 40 miles from Fairhaven to Phoenix. But they ignoring all their previous experience, ignoring Paul's experience of being shipwrecked twice already. And they knew how quickly weather could change, and that's exactly what happens. And life can be like that, can't it? You know, one minute, we've just celebrated Christmas 2019, and all the adverts on TV change to holiday adverts and lovely sea uh, beaches and sand, and we're dreaming about a lovely holiday, and the next minute, we're in the middle of an awful pandemic um, that's lasted a year and counting. And it's turned everybody's lives upside down, literally. And I know there are many examples that we've all experienced of, of storms in our lives and problems in our lives. So what can we take from this account of this doomed voyage and this trip to Rome and learn about coming through storms and trusting in God? We read here that they're battered by the waves they're out of control, they're driven and they're at the mercy of the storm. And in this desperate situation, we see two different extremes of reaction. So firstly, fear. Fear grips everyone on board. And the sailors try all they know to stay afloat. Firstly, they brace the ship with ropes. Some say they passed them underneath, some say they, they tied from, uh, from front to back stem to stern, um, to try and stop the ship being ripped apart. Um, then they drag, drop out the sea anchor, which is like a big windsock, and it drags in the water behind the ship to slow it down and stabilise it. Next, they throw most of the cargo grain overboard, and then finally, they throw as much of the tackle of the ship overboard as they dare in sheer desperation. And then we read 
in verse 20, when neither sun nor star appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That last phrase says it all, doesn't it? We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Um, and for us, when things aren't going away and the situation seems hopeless, it's easy to echo those words, isn't it? But wait, you know, there is another reaction here. And that's the one that Paul made. It's one of faith. And in this situation of crisis and despair, Paul steps forward with words of encouragement and hope. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. I'm not sure if it was the kindest thing of Paul to stand up and say, I told you so, but I'm sure that everybody on the ship wishes they'd listened to him. In here again, we see God's amazing grace and mercy, because not only is God going to save Paul, because he's, had a, he's got a mission for him to do, but he's also going to save the other 275 people on board as well. Only the ship's going to be lost. And there's a point to note here. There are always consequences to our decisions. Now next we read that the sailors try to sneak off the ship by nicking the life raft. Um, but Paul, knowing by now how God's word works and how God works in these situations, tells the centurion they cut the rope and they keep the sailors on board. Then the final twist, the soldiers in fear of their lives because if any of these prisoners escape, the soldiers will suffer the consequences of their sentence. Um, they decide they're going to kill all the prisoners to stop them escaping. But the centurion stops them. And I think this is because the centurion likes Paul. Um, so you're going to stop him doing it. And how do we respond in a crisis? Are we calm and rely on God like Paul did? Or do we panic like the sailors and the soldiers? Now back in 1990, I was part of a team of, of 12 men who took four three and a half tonne lorries filled with food, clothes, power tools and medicine to Romania uh, just after the revolution when it was a desperate situation over there. And uh, Jim, the one on the left in the blue jumper and the leather waistcoat, was driving a vehicle at this particular time of the story I'm going to tell you and I'm the one on the right with a lot more hair than I've got now and quite a bit slimmer than I am now as I can see. Um, anyway, we were driving through Hungary, it was getting late and we needed to get to the hotel that we we're going to stay in for our stopover that night. Uh, and so we started to speed up. Well then it started raining and Jim and I drove over a little bridge and as we came over the bridge the lorry lost traction and started to skid and weave um, and snake down the road and Jim was sort of pulling at the steering wheel one way then the other trying to stop this thing but it just got worse and worse and then we started to aquaplane and then we were just passengers and the weaving of the lorry and Jim pulling at the steering wheel seemed to go on for ages and then all of a sudden the lorry did a complete 180 in the road ended up on its side in a ditch facing the wrong way and we'd taken out a telegraph pole 
all the phones in the village um, and a man's fence and, and his garden in the process. Now, you'd expect me to be frightened for my life while all this was going on, but I wasn't. I really wasn't. I had a real peace and assurance. I believe the Holy Spirit just said, whispered in my ear, you're going to be okay. And I said to Jim, Jim, we're going to be okay. And my expectation was that, you know, it would stop weaving and we'd straighten up. <laughs> but no, um, you know, we crash. Um, then one of the team must have climbed onto the lorry uh, and the, the door opened. And uh, they sort of peered in and said, Is, are you all right in there? Because it was pitch black by this time. Um, but neither of us injured, apart from a little cut on my finger, I think, if I remember rightly. And I'm, you know, I know God saved us from serious injury or death that night. So back to Paul and the shipwreck. As we read on in chapter 27, the ship finally runs aground. He's broken up by the rough seas and against the odds. But true to God's word, everyone gets ashore safely. And Luke's account of this storm of shipwreck, you see, is much more than just a historical record of events. It's an account of a mighty spiritual battle between the, the powers of evil working through the elements in opposition to God. Uh, this is also an amazing demonstration of God's power and grace and authority over the forces of evil and nature. But the 276 people, including Paul, had to play their part in God's plan. They had to swim ashore. You know, they, they weren't magically transported from the deck to the sand like some Star Trek transporter beam. And it's the same for us. God will have a way through storms and through trials for us. We can't avoid them and we can't go around them. But God will be with us in them if we put our trust in him. So once ashore, they find themselves on Malta. Here circled in red. And we have this account in Acts 28, verses 1 to 6. Once safely ashore... We found that the island was called Malta. The island just showed us unusual kindness, built fire because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effect. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. You know, people can be so judgmental, can't they? Uh, can't we? And I include myself in that statement. The islanders, without knowing anything about Paul, assume he's a murderer. Because although you know he's got through the storm and the, and the sea, he's been bitten by a snake. But when he doesn't keel over and die, they're confused. So they flip to the completely opposite extreme and call him a god. But neither is true. And the real point here in this detailed account of the storm is to demonstrate God and Jesus' power and providence. And I'm sure Paul explains them like he's done elsewhere that, no, I'm not a god. I'm a follower of Jesus. And he goes on to heal everybody on the island. And Paul explains this this dynamic uh, i suppose we should call it in ephesians 1 11 and 12 and this is from the message and i i like the way uh, that eugene peterson puts this it's in christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for long before we first heard of christ and got our hopes up he had his eyes on us 
had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. I love that. We and Paul were part of this overall purpose that he's working out in everything and everyone. So to my final point, following Christ in obedience. Throughout the book of Acts, we've seen Paul and other followers of, of Jesus, um, the followers of the way, in complete obedience and surrender to him. We've seen Paul endure various attempts to kill him or, or assassinate him. You know, he's been falsely accused. He's been in court time and time again. He's been flogged. He's been stoned. Uh, he's been shipwrecked. And now he's in chains on his way to Rome to testify before Caesar. So Paul arrives in Rome. And now finally in Rome, living in a rented house, chained to a Roman soldier, he does what he always does. And he arranges a meeting with the Jewish leaders to tell his story. And Mark Visser said last week, didn't he, that we all need to be... Um, ready to tell our story whenever and wherever the opportunity arises. And later on uh, in Acts 28, a large number of Jewish leaders come to where Paul is staying uh, and this is what he says. He witnesses to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tries to persuade them about Jesus. Paul tells the Jewish leaders about Jesus. For Paul, it's always been about Jesus. It's what he's always done from the first time he met him on the road to Damascus in chapter 9 to now in Rome. Paul is a primary example of what it is to live this life of discipleship. Following Jesus cost Paul everything. Because we know that although he's eventually released from this captivity, he's later rearrested and, and executed for his faith. And following Jesus will cost us. So the question we need to ask ourselves, the question I need to ask myself, is what is it costing me to follow Jesus? Because if it isn't costing us anything, are we really following him? Am I really following him? In the final, some of the final verses of this chapter, we see yet more division. And, you know, Paul's told them, and some of them accept, but some of them don't. So Paul quotes from Isaiah to them. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For you have closed your hearts. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. The gospel always divides people into one of two camps. Those who accept Jesus with their own hearts or those who are sceptical or violently oppose it. And we've seen this throughout Acts, haven't we? It's why Paul is in Rome. And we will experience the same reaction as we tell people about Jesus. Some will accept it and some will reject it. But let's not get put off telling our story just because some might reject us. So we come to the end of our study in the book of Acts. And it ends with his final wonderful statements in verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You know, the world has been turned upside down by this pandemic. And many people have lost hope. They've lost loved ones. They've lost jobs. And we need to be available to share the hope that is in us. And that hope is Jesus. So in conclusion, fear can try and rob us of our faith like it did for those on the ship. But God is faithful and will bring us through every storm we face if we put our trust and our hope in him. Paul is a wonderful example of putting Jesus first in every situation and promoting the kingdom of God rather than his own agenda and ambition. In all we do, let's be people who talk about Jesus and make it all about him and not about us. The book of Acts comes to an end, but it's not the end of the narrative. The kingdom of God goes on and on and nothing's going to stop it. It continues to be proclaimed with boldness and without hindrance. And are we, and we are the people God has called to continue to build his kingdom. Are we going to rise to the call like Paul did? And as Carol Wimber put it, um, and I refer to this, in my reflection on the National Leaders Conference, the National Leaders Gathering, or the Vineyard National Gathering, that's what it was called, wasn't it? And please go and find um, the Legacy video on YouTube. It's well worth watching. As Carol Wimber put it, and I referred to there, will we take our place and do what God has planned for us to do? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are always with us, no matter what problems or obstacles we might face. Lord, may we, like Paul, come to a place of faith and be willing to live the life of discipleship that you have called us to and take our place so that your kingdom will continue to grow as you intend. In Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you for listening. You can find out more about Grace Vineyard on our website at www.gracevineyard.co.uk and now we're going to have a few questions for uh, our church meeting this morning in our breakout rooms and I'll leave these up for a while.